Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning, friends. Come on in, pull up a chair. I'm Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutters, our barista. And coming up this morning, our friend Dr. Marlon Della Torre, the Senior Director of Evangelization for the Columbus Diocese, will be with us as we wrap up our series on the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then Amanda Cam and I will introduce our plans to pray together with all of you this Advent. And then around 8.40, Sean Kenny, the executive director of the Museum of Catholic Art and History, will tell us about the nativity at Cathedral Square and some of the activities he has planned at the museum for this Advent season. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> still tip slight, top. Still, still slightly <laughs> under the weather. <laughs> but, but we're going to do it. But moving forward. That's it. That's it. Can you start us with a prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we praise you and thank you for another day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for all the ways that you are blessing us. And in particular, we thank you for all those hidden gifts that we are not even aware of. We ask that you grant us greater gratitude in all the little ways, all the ways that you provide, all the ways that we are loved for all the things that we have. We ask that you give us hearts in expectancy of you this coming Christmas season. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. You know what today is? What's that? National French Toast Day. <laughs> oh, man, we should have had some with our, our uh, maple syrup yesterday. <laughs> yeah, we can't we can't continue to just drink it out of the bottle, <laughs> no, can we? <laughs> no, we can't. I mean, I guess we could, but I don't want to. No. Cam might. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've been catching him taking slugs out of his bottle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, of the big three, French toast, pancakes, and waffles, what's your choice? Ooh, French toast. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on that. Yeah. 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 Least favorite? Um, Probably pancakes. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. pretty French toast by far favorite. Right. And then pancakes, waffles, yeah. I just also have go good memories of waking up on a Saturday morning or Sunday morning and my dad making French toast, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, have you ever done stuffed French toast? With, you know, with uh, like mushrooms? Cheese? No. <laughs> okay, Dave. <laughs> no, no, no. With um, like the cream cheese and the, you know, the different spreads? No? I must have at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. New goal to, to how do you stuff a piece of toast? I don't know how they do it. <laughs> I guess it's impressive, huh? Yeah, I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Harness the power of the internet. Coming up uh, this weekend, our friends in Athens will be interested in this. This Friday, December first, from five to nine p.m., and Saturday, 
December 2nd from 10 to 3. The Gifts That Give Back Vendor Market is happening at the Post and Manor and Event Barn in Logan. And each vendor there has pledged to support charities of their choice. And Chris Tropp of the Burlap Bee Company has selected to support St. Gabriel Radio and St. John Newman Church. So the Burlap Bee Company sells wooden crosses, signs, prayer journals, charcuterie boards, and market totes that are hand-stenciled with psalms and other inspirational messages. So you can learn more about the Burlap Bee Company. That's B-E-E at theburlapbeeco.com. I was in Costco over the weekend. And this, uh, you know, a lot of family shopping together. And this little kid, man, he couldn't have been more than kindergarten, first grade. Can we get charcuterie? <laughs> wow. I'm like, impressive. <laughs> so it must be a big thing in their house for yeah, I guess so. a child that young to know. I have a hard time saying it, but he. Charcuterie. Charcuterie. He <laughs> nailed it. He nailed it. So, and it's Giving Tuesday. So, friends, if uh, there's lots of uh, worthy uh, charities out there, we would ask. Uh, for you to please consider St. Gabriel Catholic Radio uh, if you are so inclined to, uh, to support us this time of year. You can go online to stgabrielradio.com, and we sure do appreciate your support. Joining us now by phone is the one and only Dr. Marlon Delatore, the Senior Director for Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. Good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Dave and Amanda. How are you both? A blessed post-Thanksgiving. Yes, and you know, we're celebrating the final week of Ordinary Time. That's right. That's right. We anticipate the, the gift of Advent. Yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit about that uh, uh, today as well. But we want to wrap up our series on the Beatitudes. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Might as well save the best for last, right? That's it. That's it. Is this uh, as simple as not being afraid to do the right thing? You know, I, I wish it was. Um, I, I think that there there is a, a specific intention by our Lord for saving the best for last with respect to blessed are the persecuted. Um, when you look at the the finality or this climax of this journey of the Beatitudes, you see a culmination of an entryway between what our Lord brings, what Jesus brings, uh, meaning an awareness of who God is through Him, and then how we are to continue <clears throat> with that awareness as we move on in our journey, in our discipleship with our Lord, but even after um, His death. Because when you look at this particular Beatitude, what he's doing is he's preparing the disciples and the apostles themselves because they're all gathered together. This is before Christ begins to select the apostles, if we read this in Matthew's Gospel, and that uh, after I pass on, you have to carry me on, but you will be persecuted for it. And so he's going to show them what persecution actually means, uh, obviously it was with the cross and what he endures at the scourging and then ultimately his death. And these are all finalities or culminations of this introduction to salvation, which is what the Beatitudes are. 
for our listeners who have been following us for the last several weeks. Mm-hmm. And so the persecution is, first and foremost, your willingness to say, Lord, I will be with you, that I'm shedding my old life and embracing a new life that requires me to basically suffer for you as you suffered for me. This is literally part of this beatitude. And so he's laying the groundwork for everyone to, to really embrace the fact that you are a child of God. Anthropologically speaking, you bear the image of God. I come on this earth to bear a resemblance of humanity fully, and also a full resemblance and identity of divinity, being fully human, fully divine. And so this persecution that he's referring to in this last beatitude is the fact that, will you identify with me? Will you participate with me what I'm about to engage in? And will you stay with me even after I move on from this earth, physically but not spiritually, and continue to press on in, in your faith, in your discipleship, in my name. So th- there's a lot of entryway here in terms of who we are as Catholics, as Christians, as disciples, as baptized uh, infants of our Lord, and that there, there's a responsibility to endure persecution, meaning that somebody will be vile towards you if you profess Jesus Christ crucified. Someone will mock you, make fun of you, uh, exercise calumny against you, exercise just horrific things, uh, that would be wrapped around in the seven capital sins, for example, just because you decide to profess Christ crucified publicly. And these are the things that our Lord is preparing us uh, for and that we will endure if we stay close to him. A good reference when you look at 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul is basically exhorting the people, the disciples, you are to now shed your old life and be anew with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. We, we take off the old way and embrace the new, because he's letting them know that you will be persecuted for this new way. And so this is a, a very fitting climax to the Beatitudes and a very a beautiful way to introduce ourselves to uh, the way of Christ, the way we're called to embrace uh, the cross, and really very fitting as we prepare for the Advent season. So, Doctor, the so this being the culmination of the Beatitudes— as we walk with the Lord for the sake of righteousness, so the earlier Beatitudes, you know, if if we're merciful, mm-hmm. if we're clean of heart, if we're peacemakers, and we're doing mm-hmm. this in the Lord's name, all these earlier Beatitudes, then we will be persecuted? Mm-hmm. That is the key, and that is the progression, because it, it essentially... Um, if we enter into a relationship with, with our Lord, the finality of that relationship is suffering. It will always lead to suffering. The reason being is because Christ came on this earth, of the many reasons, to destroy the works of the devil. In order to destroy the works of the devil, you have to understand that why he came. He is grace personified. Uh, he is God. Uh, and he just happens to be also be made mad. And so when, when you look at this progression of this finality, um, when you're a peacemaker, when you basically reference the poor, when you're here to uh, be meek to those who need to be meek, mourn properly for those who need mourning, uh, be merciful to those who need to be shown mercy. All that finalizes itself in this element of faith to b- embrace our cross. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, there's a particular term in the Church called redemptive suffering. Uh, and what that means really basically means is our, our daily way of taking our struggles, our sins, 
placing them before the throne of our Lord and understanding that these struggles are meant to aid our understanding and awareness of Jesus Christ, and that these pains, these struggles that we encounter are, are really aimed to prepare us for heaven, because nothing unholy can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And if we embrace this way that our Lord has shown us through the cross, through this persecution, then the gates of heaven will be there for us. And this is part of the, the message that our Lord is trying to convey to us. And really, when he says that you're the soul of the earth um, and that you're the light of the world, really he's saying this, is that you're, you're called to bring, bring the best of the faithful out. You're called to bring in, to bring out the, the grace and the, the gift that each person possesses to the forefront so they can become disciples themselves. So this is really part of this beautiful interplay date that we have. Mm. Dr. Marlon Delatore is with us in the cafe this morning. Probably in the entire history of sales pitches, this has mm-hmm. to be right near the bottom, right? Yeah. I, it, so it, if, you, if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, and mm-hmm. if you don't know the promises um, that come with knowing him mm-hmm. intimately, I mean, why would you want to do this? Absolutely. I mean, your rate of return is pretty low. On, on this on this proposition. So uh, you, you, you look at somebody who says, I, I bring you eternal life. Whoever eats of me will have eternal life. So reference John 6, verse 37. He says the fact that at the word of Jesus, that, 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 that I am king, all right, that I have the power to, to change water into wine. He tells the woman to well that you have to serve me. Well, who are you for me to serve you? So he has all these propositions as, quote, unquote, the, the, the eternal divine pitch man. But yet the rate of return is like, what? Suffering, yeah. death, condemnation. Um, the, the, the Jews are going to hate you. The Pharisees want to basically mock you. And the Sadducees are waiting to kill you. So take your point. I mean, to pick your poison. And so it's it's not a great um, uh, return. But there's a silver lining into everything because our Lord creates a silver lining. He's the author of that. It is the fact that none of that matters. That that our our temporary life on earth really cannot in any way, dispel what awaits you in glory for heaven. So the greatest, worst calamity on earth, and it's easy for me to say that living in the Western world, living in the United States, um, who am I to say that I've endured suffering? Uh, but I mean, we all have a particular cross that, that, that Christ places upon our hearts that we have to bear, and it varies by degree. And so with that understanding, there is something significant that nothing I possess matters that the greatest faults and the greatest challenges I'm currently dealing with pale in comparison to the grace that awaits for me if I suffer well. And and this is part of the persecution. Persecution doesn't mean that uh, basically everything is going to hell. It means also that will you suffer well under persecution? And if you do that, when you take the model of Job, when you take the model of St. Paul in his letter to the Galatians, when you you take uh, the understanding of what this requires, even in the book of Hebrews, which is a reference to uh, just the ordinary, uh, the external priesthood of our Lord, meaning that this is what our priests are called to do. There, there is a suffering well component, and this is what he's asking of us as well. Will you suffer well with me as I have for you? So that there, there's a lot here to unpack in this particular beatitude, and really uh, when we say that we're disciples, we also are meant to say, not that we're joyful, of course we are, but will we suffer well in joy? Dr. Marlon Delatore is with us here in the cafe. The 
Senior Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. Yeah, so that there's a paradox, right? So you mentioned yeah. rate of return. It's uh, seemingly the worst possible, but in reality, it's the best possible. It's out of this world. It, it, it is, and that's, it's very hard for us, David and Amanda, to uh, conceptualize that as human beings. Uh, because we're, we're, we're blinded by sin, and we're guarded by our own inadequacies uh, due to sin. And so when you, when you look at what awaits for us, that, that persecution uh, emits grace, right? That persecution, um, that our understanding of persecution in the right context, that we are called to literally die for our Lord, all right, it emits an entryway into heaven because we're called to be martyrs. Uh, that's the hard part, is why would I sacrifice everything I possess for this particular message or this particular man who claimed to be God. Um, it's a hard act to follow if you look at it on a basic human level, but we're called to go beyond that. And so when he says that the persecuted, uh, blessed are persecuted because they are true disciples, um, and there's a reference here to be steadfast in faith and suffer for the faith of Christ. And, and this is the key for us, the source preparation for Advent. Um, the, the, the paradox is, yes, I love you, but that love requires me to suffer. Why? Why, why, why can't you just, why can't I just love you without uh, uh, dealing with this, with this pain and agony? It's a very simple way of saying, well, I'd rather look at the corpus to remind me of what my journey is than just the basic cross itself. The reason we have the corpus, what's significant in our, in our symbolism, is that very fact that we're called to be persecuted that if we're true disciples, we will embrace uh, that act of suffering and suffer well, um, meaning to embrace it. And when I say that, some people may misunderstand that and saying, well, it should just allow yourself to be persecuted and, and uh, strangled or hit. It's like, well, no, naturally that's going to come. But there will come a time and place where you have to stand up for the faith, where you have to really uh, echo the message of Jesus Christ, and you're going to be spat upon. You're going to be mocked and made fun of, even within your own family, and for our listeners. That happens a lot within families. And so uh, the, the goal is to be steadfast, to be well, to be joyful, and to know that all these bearings um, await a final rest, and that rest is heaven. Dr. Marlin, you had said a couple things that really stood out to me, because when I was reading this, <clears throat> excuse me, reading this Beatitude, Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, that four really stood out to me. And you had mentioned the sake of intention the, mm-hmm. the, um, and how important, you know, in the right context, it's not persecution for persecution's sake. But also you had mentioned, you know, when we look at the corpus on the cross, it's it's not about just looking at the beloved. It's about being in union with the beloved. Like love is not satisfied just to to look at the other, but but to be to live life with the other, and that's what our crucified Lord did for us. Uh, well said. Well said. You're right. It's funny how um, you I've encountered individuals in my lifetime where, and I know they say, "All right, I need to suffer for our Lord," and I tell them. Uh, it's like, I, I commend you for saying that out loud, but before you do that, understand what the intention of our Lord was on the cross. Understand, truly understand His incarnation. Understand that He became sin to no sin. Once you do that, 
once you understand the ramifications of what that means in terms of the incarnation, the Word made flesh, the man who did not need to know sin but became sin in order to save us from sin, okay, then you'll understand what it means to suffer well. Then you'll understand the proper intention of why we are to bear the cross every day. Um, and then you'll have a completely different mindset of the sacrament of life. Because our, our, our typical mindset in the sacrament of life, and then it would be, all right, give me, give me, give me. Give, give me the grace. Give me these gifts. All right, so I feel better. No, they're to strengthen you to suffer well. It's quite opposite. That when you embrace the cross, when you see the corpus, when you see and you have a proper intention of your baptism, of your confirmation of Holy Communion, you've received these graces in order to withstand sin. And when you are persecuted and struck down, so to speak, because of your faith, you're sustained by the sacrament of life, because these sacraments are direct gifts from Christ himself. And so that's all part of the proper intention. And if we have the proper intention, then there's nothing that we cannot endure. There's nothing that we cannot withstand when we're attacked for the love of Christ in our heart. And that's why we emanate this beautiful example of the early Church Fathers, of their early persecuted brothers and sisters of the yeah. Church, who died with joy, with happiness. That, that's the distinction. And this is the beauty that we have in the models of the Church. They died, with, they died well, and, and they died under horrific conditions, but they had a joy. And that joy was more powerful than any human suffering that they were being inflicted upon or that they were enduring. So I'm glad you raised that point. Thank you. Mm. And then to hear, well done, good and faithful sir, servant. Amen. Mm. Amen. And, then, and that becomes really our, uh, our lasting battle cry day. That is our battle cry. That in the end, um, he smiles at us, hopefully, with a joyful embrace and says, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. Mm. So good. Doctor, thank you. Um, wow, th this uh, has been a rich, rich series. Uh, thank you for offering to, to go through the Beatitudes with us. And friends, all these uh, episodes with uh, Dr. Marlin are available on the CAFE podcast at stgabrielradio.com. Before we let you go today, Doctor, how do you and your family enter into the Advent season? Oh, great question. You know, we... we from a from a very practical standpoint, we begin to examine our own consciences because it's a tradition in our family to really dive into uh, a sense and awareness of what's about to happen. And so in order for us to do that, we, we focus on our challenges, our impediments, our sins, and try to really prepare ourselves to, re, to receive the sacrament of reconciliation in a very profound way. I mean, praise God that our family, we're regular um, practitioners of receiving the sacrament, and, and so we, we really take this opportunity for Advent to, to seek and dive deeper into how we can become more aware of the birth of our Lord, because as we celebrate every Advent season, it can become monotonous. It can be, okay, here we go, Advent again. But uh, for us, we try to really focus on, on the significance of God becoming man. And so we focus on that. Also, we uh, put a proper devotion to our Blessed Mother Mary, thanking her for saying yes. So we, we appreciate and venerate our Blessed Mother appropriately by thanking her for being the Mother of God. And we, we bring an awareness of who she is into our family through our daily family rosary as well. And so those are just two practical things that we do to start. There's many more things, obviously, Advent grief, mm -hmm. uh, Jesse Tree, things of that nature, but those to really set the stage for our family have been um, really constant for a long time. Love it, love it. 
Dr. Marlon Delatore, the Senior Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Columbus. We're going to have you back next Tuesday for a new series, right? That's right. So, so we'll discuss that hopefully this week, and uh, we'll be ready to go next Tuesday. Outstanding. Well, God bless you, Doctor. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, David and Amanda. God bless you both. Have Talk a blessed week. Talk to you next Tuesday. When we come back from our refills, we're going to talk about our plans for Advent and how we're inviting all of our friends to join us. Coming up on the St. Gabriel Cafe. A prayer in devotion to the holy face of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be merciful to us, O my God, and reject not our prayers, when amid our afflictions we call upon thy holy name, and seek with love and confidence thine adorable face. Amen. Do you have a minute for lasting happiness? Living virtuously is the way to freedom, happiness, and holiness. To grow in virtue, we must learn about it, practice it, and persevere in it. This is what the saints have achieved with excellence. An excellent example of the virtue of affability is seen in Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati. Pier Giorgio lived affability heroically by acting cheerfully and without complaint when life was difficult. He was friendly and outgoing to everyone especially the sick and the poor, whom he served with works of mercy. His genuine smile shared God's love with others. He was joyful, even as he was dying at the early age of 24. Let us ask Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati to pray for us, that we too may grow in affability. Educate yourself in virtue. Learn more at educationinvirtue.com. I'm Lori Crock, and this is a Holy and Healthy Minute. Perhaps you're like me, a little bit Martha and a little bit Mary. From Luke chapter 19, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need for only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. Throughout the day, I try to give my concerns to God, and I turn to little arrow prayers, which are brief lamentations that can help our hearts return to the better part. Jesus, I trust in you. Hail Mary, full of grace. But can we get anything done if we are Mary all the time? Yes, we can. We can choose to make God first in our lives and not allow our many tasks to prevent us from spending time with him. Let us pray. Jesus, help us to stay close to you in prayer and through the sacraments. May we move through the day with a heart more like Mary so that we don't miss the better part. Amen. Welcome back to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn. We're so happy you're with us here in the cafe this morning. While we've been teasing it out a little bit, we're going to do something quite special uh, here in the cafe during the Advent season. Do you want me to announce it, Amanda? Yeah, I do. All that. right. <laughs> uh, we're going to be praying together through a book called Rejoice, Advent Meditations with the Holy Family by Father Mark Toops. Uh, this is from Ascension Press. 
the good folks that bring you Bible in a year and catechism in, in a year. We're going to do Rejoice in, what, 22 days. So copies available online through Ascension, through wherever fine books are sold. Our friends at Generations are also awaiting at Generation Books and, books and Gifts. Books and Gifts. Uh, we'll have copies available later this week, so you can pick up a copy there. Waiting to hear back from our friends at St. Paul's Marian Gift Shop. That may also be an option, but get a copy and play along with us because this is something that's really brand new for me uh, in terms of how to approach Advent and, and pray through Advent with the Holy Family. Mm -hmm. I, I've never approached it this way, and I'm excited. You mean brand new as in following a meditation book or brand new as in the Holy Family? Yeah, brand new in the Holy, as, as in the Holy Family. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you know, okay, I've done it with Mary, I've done it with Joseph, but I've never done it as praying with the family. Right, yeah. Okay, so I have a confession, Dave. <laughs> you skipped ahead to day 22. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, when we were trying to decide which book to choose, I have a love for St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. I mean, and a love for Mary. Um, but when I heard that they had a, a couple different options for this book, my first initial thought was, oh, I'd love to journey with St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And then you had mentioned the Holy Family, and I took a moment to ask the Lord, well, what do you want? And I felt like I needed to be docile to your prompting. And I'm actually really excited about that because I agree with you. I think there is something important about the meditations with the Holy Family and how they experience this together. Mm -hmm. So I am, I'm looking forward to that. And our barista is going to be a big part of this journey as well. I am. I'm really excited for that. And I've never... This might be a little controversial to say as a Catholic. Ooh, Father I feel Adam. Like something along <laughs> those lines, right? Um, but I've never had a particular devotion to the Holy Family. Mm. And right. and so I'm excited to get to know them not just as individual friends, because I've had a devotion to Our Lady in different ways through her different titles. I've had a devotion to St. Joseph as a new dad. And... But I've never gotten to know them as like a mm -hmm. as a, a unit. Mm -hmm. And and isn't that what marriage is? Is it's the two becoming one, right? So I, this oneness of Mary and Joseph and, and of their whole family then um, as they welcome Jesus into the world, I've never known them like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what sets this devotional apart is that we're not, when we say we're journeying along with the Holy Family, it's not journeying with Mary one week joseph the next we're we're really entering into their marriage and how that is a model for all of us and, and so you're we're looking at it as as a unit mm -hmm. as the holy family and I, i'm interested i'm not sure i haven't skipped ahead so i'm not sure how all this will unfold uh i know it's it's going to be great but i've purposely held off skipping ahead that's good. <laughs> no spoilers. So no spoilers. we're going to do it day by day uh, together uh, for the first 10 or 15 minutes of each uh, episode of the cafe, uh, a short meditation, some scripture, and then some Lexio. And we invite all of you to pray along with us. Yeah, actually, when we were choosing this topic um, of the 
of the three of us. I am the one who's not married. So we have Cam, newly married, Dave, you've been married for a while, and mm-hmm. and myself, single. And at first I was like, oh, will I get much out of this? But I like, Dave, how you said, you know, this is, and Cam, you also expressed this idea of getting to know the Holy Family together as a unit. And that doesn't exclude any of us. And even in the the foreword of the book, he talks about, you know, whether we're married or not, everyone is in a relationship with God and others. Um, and these meditations will actually help us to live a life more fully as a disciple of Christ. Um, and so that is also another thing that I'm looking forward to in this, in these meditations uh, is, yeah, getting to know the Holy Family as a unit and then also just entering into that with them as they journey through this Advent season to the birth of our Lord. And it's like getting to be a part of their family too, right? right? Um, I, I, we did as a trial run, we didn't skip far ahead, but as a trial run, just to kind of get an idea of what the book was like, we did uh, the first day or two just to get our feet wet and and take a look at it. Um, We'll be redoing those days on air. And so don't worry, we're not leaving you behind all of, all of our friends listening. Um, but one of the ways that Father Mark puts it in the book is is constantly asking this question of, at least week one, is how does Joseph love Mary well? Mm. And how does Mary love Joseph well? And I that mm. kind of started yeah. reframing how I was even approaching the Lexio portion of it is I was like, oh, I need to be reading this passage as if I'm like putting myself in Mary's shoes or putting myself in Joseph's shoes to get to know them and say, okay, how are you reading this passage? Because it's the same passages they were reading. A lot of these are readings from the Old Testament. So right. these are the same, you know, Psalms that Joseph would pray every morning. Mm-hmm. And so getting for myself to put myself in his shoes and say, okay, I'm praying these Psalms and it's my duty as a husband to love my wife. How how are you seeing this, St. Joseph, and mm-hmm. help to invite me into that? Yeah, I actually did another book by... Father Mark Toops in the footsteps of St. Joseph. And what I really appreciate about the way that these books seem to be set up are those meditations. And like you said, Cam, it's so helpful to put ourselves in their shoes and to see it from their perspective, because that just gives us such deeper insight uh, to the person that they are, which increase it, it really helped increase my devotion, you know, to, to get to know it. it St. Joseph, while I was reading that book, wasn't just, you know, this fatherly figure, St. Joseph, head of the Holy Family. He really became someone that I I could have a relationship with. And I think that's also what um, I'm excited for in this book is making it more relational. I never did growing up. um, I never did Advent well. Um, It was always at least as young Dave recognized it, uh, preparing for a day, you know, just it's what you do leading up to Christmas day. Mm-hmm. And in, in the forward, there's just one sentence that really stood out that in Advent, we're not preparing for a day. Mm-hmm. We're only preparing for a day that we're preparing for a person, mm-hmm. uh, in Jesus Christ. And that's what one of my hopes for, for this series is to have that journey with Mary and Joseph as they're preparing for Jesus. 
yeah, it's just it's so profound mm -hmm. that to slow down, to set time apart, and be there with the Holy Family in 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 their relationship as they prepare for the birth of Jesus. Isn't that? I mean, that's awesome that we have that opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it really is. No, I agree with you, Dave. And and how easily can this time of year become so busy? And we can focus on so many other things with all the preparation um, in terms of, you know, maybe getting the house ready, getting the food ready, getting the gifts ready. You know, all and the, we all do it. Right. I mean, right? I mean, it's, and it's preparing a part for of that the festivities, day. right? Yeah. Uh, but taking that focus and really saying, well, what am I preparing for? Not just a day, you know, but a person. Mm. And is there space for that person, for that relationship in my heart? and not be caught up only on how many shopping days remain, <laughs> right? Right, right. So this Thursday, we're going to kick it off. Uh, that'll be our final uh, episode this week. We have the Sacred Heart Hour on Friday. So here Thursday in the cafe, we'll do the reflection for the first Sunday in Advent. So friends, we do encourage you, if you're able to pick up a copy it's called Rejoice Advent Meditations with the Holy Family by Father Mark Toops. It's available wherever books are sold, especially online, uh, you know, the big sellers, as well as Ascension Press. And then give our friends at Generations and the Marian Gift Shop a call as well and find out when, when their supplies are arriving. So we're going to... We're going through the coffee like crazy this morning, folks. <laughs> We're going to take a, a short break, come back with Sean Kenny to talk about what's happening at the museum and down in Cathedral Square this Advent season. Stay with us. Everyone feels lonely at times, from college freshmen to the homebound to people married with kids. But the reality is, alone is a lie. It never existed. Even in the abyss before space and time, there was the Trinity, one God who is a communion of persons. And not only is He with you, He surrounded you with angels and saints. When Elisha the prophet was surrounded by an army that wanted to kill him, his servant was terrified until he had a vision. He saw horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You might be in a hospital, experiencing a broken relationship, or feeling rejected because of your faith, but you're surrounded by an unseen army. You're part of the body of Christ, connected with people all over the world struggling just as you are, and you have Jesus at your side, who experienced the pain of isolation so that when you feel really lonely, you'd have someone to feel really lonely with. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com. Welcome to the Catholic Man's Minute. Men, are you showing up for battle? The evil one is waging war on our families, and the battlefield is your daily prayer life. Prayer is a battle because it demands radical trust Trust that God will be present and that God will speak and infuse himself and his power into us 
to help us overcome the world and the evil one. St. Joseph trusted in God and proved it by his repeated turning to God in prayer. So it will be with us if we follow his example and become determined to present ourselves to the God who desires to present himself to us. Today, men, step onto the battlefield and begin a consistent and deep prayer life. This has been the Catholic Man's Minute, a co-production of Catholic Men's Ministry and Fathers of St. Joseph and their daily devotional, Lead. For more information on these ministries and our annual men's conference, go to catholicmensministry.com. Welcome back, friends, to the St. Gabriel Cafe. I'm Amanda Miller. I'm Dave Orsborn, and right now we're welcoming Sean Kenny, the executive director of the Columbus Catholic Museum. I just butchered it, Sean. What's the name of the museum? Hey, not too far off. The Museum <laughs> of Catholic Art and History. That's Good it, morning, everybody. art and history. God bless you, brother. Thanks for being with us in the cafe. It's always an honor. How are you guys? Wonderful, wonderful. You've been busy. Well, I tell you, it's, uh, I got in my car this morning. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas, uh, <laughs> not just outside, but also down at the museum. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start it's, with the, uh, when you were in the cafe earlier this season, we had the announcement that we have a new nativity. We do. So we acquired the former state auto nativity set, and um, it's, been, it's been fantastic, you know, taking the torch, basically, this 87-year tradition in Columbus, and taking it to the next step here. And our bishop has been extremely, you know, open arms to this whole idea since the beginning. And uh, so the nativity scene is actually set up in his front yard there in the Cathedral Square. So we renamed the nativity scene Nativity at Cathedral Square. And I think it's a very fitting name. It's all set up. It looks great. And uh, to give you the scale, just for fun for a second, of this nativity scene, it took 12 26-foot box trucks to move it. You and need a pretty, pretty good sure front that yard. Makes this the largest yeah. nativity scene in the Midwest. Wow. In the Midwest. In the Midwest. We've wow. been doing a bunch of research and have not found another nativity scene as big as this one. So pretty cool to have this uh, new acquisition here in downtown Columbus. <clears throat> yeah, it, it's it fills it fills the front yard. It does, and we actually did not put it all out. We did not put out the Herod's Palace scene. Um, it's something we'll have to rotate in and out every couple of years mm-hmm. um, due to space. But um, it looks great. It's lit up. The dedication went fantastic. And, again, this is open to the public. And something that I did in my little speech the other day to uh, as a dedication, I want to encourage all the listeners here. And, you know, this is a huge way to evangelize using the Advent and Christmas season to bring your friends down to see the nativity, get a hot chocolate, a cider, come see the museum across the street, which will be opened, or over 300 nativity sets there that will be on display. But use the story of Jesus coming into this world as, you know, kind of your beginning point when you're working with people when you're evangelizing. You know, let's just talk about Jesus' birth. Everybody loves Christmas. Everybody loves the story of Jesus. You know, whether you really believe or not, Christmas time makes everybody happy. And we talked last time on the show about the wreath, you know, on the door, representing God has no beginning and no end. Every 
most of the Christmas symbols that we have in our homes, our decorations, all go back to Christianity. So, you know, in, in, in going with, you know, Dr. De La Torre and the bishop, you know, evangelization is huge in our diocese right now. And this is just a great opportunity for us to evangelize um, through this nativity. And how, how many nativity sets do you have at the museum? So we have over, I think we have 329 set up, something like that. We counted uh, to be exact. Um, we didn't put everything out this year, but um, we've got a good amount of them out. Um, what's also cool, though, is we have Santa Claus every Friday and Saturday night. So in keeping with tradition with State Auto, um, on Friday and Saturday evenings during Advent and the Christmas season, they had choirs performing um, between 6 and 9 o'clock. So we have the same exact schedule going. We actually have um, choirs every Friday and Saturday. Um, we have the master list on our Facebook and our website. But um, the bishops allowed us to open a cathedral to all these different diverse groups from across Columbus, you know, the Presbyterian Church, the Columbus State Gospel Choir, Bishop Waterson High School uh, Choir, um, the, the Brass Band of Columbus. So all these great music groups. And again, another way to evangelize, bring your, your friends and family down to see the Nativity, and then come stay for one of the choir concerts. Take them into the church hmm. and, and show them the Stations of the Cross. Show them the Tabernacle. Show them you know, why what we, we do what we do as Catholics. Um, you know, and then enjoy it at the same time. Everybody loves Christmas music. So, you know, we're very, very excited about this. It's been a, it's been a lot of work for my, uh, my staff and the volunteers that have come down, but it's, it's going to be very fruitful. Now, these uh, concerts are happening in the cathedral Friday and, and Saturday evenings? Yep, between 6 and 9. Okay. That's fantastic. You know, and something else to keep in mind this year, too, and this is really cool. Um, I, uh, <clears throat> I've been really starting to incorporate this into all of our literature and things this year. This is the 800th anniversary of the world's first nativity scene. St. Francis set it up on Christmas Eve 1223 in Greco, Italy, is when the first nativity scene happened. So something kind of cool to keep in the back of your mind is really, you know, who, who um, did the first one? Anniversary. <laughs> who St. was Francis it? St. Francis of Assisi. That's right, St. Francis, St. Francis of yep. Assisi. <laughs> Yep. Go on. Great, great, great saint. <laughs> and I tell you, uh, you know, and again, you know, evangelization, I encourage the listeners, you know, if you've ever had non-Catholics tell you, hey, you Catholics have all this artwork and you worship statues, and that's not true. This goes back to a time period. Our faith is so old, the original faith. It's so old that this goes back to a time when we didn't have books in the home. You didn't have TV, you didn't have Netflix, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have visuals, you didn't have toys, you didn't have grocery stores, you didn't go to school, you had nothing. You know, you had maybe a little toy that your dad got you. It was a different time, a simple time, but you didn't read. But when you saw on, in church on Sunday, the stained glass window, images depicting the scenes of the Bible, or a statue of, of the crucifixion, it actually it, it brought it in perspective to you. You had a visual to help embellish your prayers. So St. Francis, in his writings, when he invented the first nativity scene, he says that. He says, I want people to see how our Lord came into this world in a cave amongst the animals. This is our Lord, our Savior, coming in this world in a stable. We're kind of used to that because of our images, but think about it for a minute. You know, having your baby in a stable, the conditions. And this is God who came to save us. So again, this reminder, you know, Oh, how I wish every home would have a nativity in the front yard. Wouldn't that be fantastic? 
it would be, you know, and again, it's more than an, know, inf- an I, inflatable Homer Simpson. I think <laughs> it, it <laughs> you know, let, hey, let, let's get the nativity scenes out there. They make inflatable nativities, though. You can buy them mm-hmm. over at home. We do. We have one. You know, Sean, you brought up a good point. You know, a lot of times our nativities, you know, they're decorated very nicely and they're so pristine, but really they're help. They they ought to help us to remember the reality of God came into this world poor and impoverished and in a stable and you know the the beauty of what He was willing to um, how He was able to humble Himself and yeah just like you're sharing Dave that that our home should have a nativity to remind us that um, the humility of God and and the reason He came for us absolutely absolutely. So you have special hours for the museum? We do. So um, the museum is actually still our normal hours, um, Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 4, and then the extra holiday hours from 6 to 9 on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, if you have a big group and you'd like to schedule a tour, um, like a school group or something, um, let us know. We can do extra hours as well, as long as it's scheduled ahead of time. But um, we're anticipating to see eight to 10,000 visitors this year to see the big nativity set. Um, so we're... You know, please bring your friends and family down. It's going to be just a fantastic situation. And you continue to attract uh, a lot of non-Catholic visitors. And we're talking about the Museum of Catholic Art and History. We're speaking with Sean Kenny, the executive director. A lot of non, non-Catholic visitors. We do. And, you know, we, you know, we're open with open arms at the museum. It's like, come in and learn about our faith. There's just so many... You know, social media and things today, This everything gets, you know, so mixed up. You know, we don't really know the truth, you know, when we look at, you know, our social media and our world, but so many people believe what they see, you know. And I always encourage people, you know, you know, especially with evangelization, you know, educate yourself. Don't look at Facebook. Don't look at what you see on TV a lot of times. You know, open a book and, and educate yourself, you know, and go back to the beginning, go back to the source. Well, the museum is a huge way to do that. We educate through art, the history of these paintings and the history of relics and the history of the saints and, and have visuals at our museum. You know, we talk about Mary, Queen of Scots. We talk about, you know, Martin Luther. You know, these are real things that happened, but what's the real story behind it? Why did it happen? You know, and I'll be the first one, and I'm sure both of you will say the same thing. The Catholic Church is not perfect. Its doctrine is perfect, but it's run by human beings. You know, we all we all have our problems. We're all human. But the doctrine of the Church is perfect. The Catholic Church and the Eucharist is perfect. It is Jesus. So, you know, again, you know, if you've got questions, come down to the museum. I'd love to—I'm going to be honest. You know, bring your friends down. We're very honest there, but, you know, we're very kind and welcoming and warm. And we want to talk about the faith. We love the faith. And, again, we educate people. And if you educate yourself— it's going to take you back to the beginning, to the truth, to the Catholic faith. Now, do you bring sacred music into the uh, museum experience? Yeah, we do. So we have our pipe organ that's there. So we talk about the history of the pipe organ and why we have pipe organs in the church. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I think we talked about this for a minute last time. But, uh, you know, the pipe organ kind of it imitates humans. It breathes like a human. Um, it speaks like a human with the air coming through and through the, through the pipes. Um, and, of course, these instruments are large enough to fill large congregations so people can sing. But the Gregorian chants and this, these haunting melodies 
um, are important. But of course, at this time of year, you know, we are celebrating Christmas early at the museum. Of course, a lot of this is educational. I mean, the Christmas stuff's been up in the, the store since October 1st. It's, it's the way society's treating it now. But we've got to remember, Christmas doesn't really start until Christmas Day, you know, midnight. Uh, you know, mass starts Christmas, and we have this whole season of Christmas. But it doesn't mean you still can't put your Christmas tree up and enjoy the season and listen to Christmas music. But the sacred music of Advent is important. You know, the way we back off in our churches, that is something that is important. If uh, the organist isn't playing a prelude and there's not all this extra loud music, because this is supposed to be a prayerful time of preparation. And as an organist and a music director, you know, my job is to help you pray during Advent, help you prepare yourself um, for this season. Um, so, you know, these great Advent hymns that we have, um, some of which are haunting and go back, you know, hundreds of years, are just wonderful. And even if you don't like to sing, you know, it, some of these hymns are great just to get out and read. You know, I always tell people sacred music is important because, you know, if you're, if you're looking at a hymn, you should be able to read it as a prayer. Beautiful Savior being one of those. Beautiful Savior, King of creation, Son of God and Son of Man. I can read that, and it sounds like a prayer. Mm-hmm. A hymn should be the same, you know, a hymn should be the same exact way, you know, when we sing it. You know, we're praying through these words. It's not just a bunch of words put together. You know, God's great, God's great, God's great, and you say that 500 times. Yeah, God is great, but you know, we've got to put this together as a, as a prayer. So, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a great one to just recite. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you know, it, it, wonderful, wonderful Advent times. And, of course, you know, we have our our prayer missiles for uh, Advent that are out, too, in a lot of our churches. Mm-hmm. You know, so take time and prepare yourself during this season, and don't just jump to, you know, Christmas Day now. You know, society wants you to, but celebrate all the way through Epiphany, and, and, and even into Candlemas at the uh, end of January, if you want. Sean Kenny, the Executive Director of the Museum of Catholic Art and History, is with us here in the cafe where can people find the museum online and get the hours and all the festivities, that calendar? Yeah, so uh, our website is a really good way to do that. It's www.catholicmuseum.org. Catholicmuseum.org, good. Uh, yep, yeah, and our Facebook page. So we do live videos almost weekly of like what's going on, so it's kind of a fun way to stay up with what we're doing. Excellent, excellent. You're going to be probably among the top busiest Catholic guys in the diocese this season. Out of question. <laughs> <laughs> what What's your strategy for slowing down and entering into Advent? Well, for me, it's my music in church. So I love playing the organ, and I love visiting with guests. So every time I get a chance to be in church, um, it's my opportunity but I also, um, just visiting with the guests, a chance to talk about their Christmas traditions and their stories and mm-hmm. help them through their preparation period and their journey. Um, anybody who comes on staff at the museum over the years that works with me, I tell them, I said, this place is going to change you. It's going to transform you. Mm-hmm. And it does. And they come back to me months later, and Teresa Warren, I know she's listening right now, um, you know, she was just amazed by the place and how it transformed her and the stories of the people. That's amazing. My tour guides came back to the office. You won't believe this couple that was here. They fell away from the church years ago, and they're, you know, they're talking about going back to Mass again. 
and we need to go back to mass. So, you know, we encourage that, and, you know, if people can leave there with a better understanding of the faith, um, or Catholics, if they can leave there learning something about their faith they didn't know, I did my job. So I can guarantee you every Catholic, you know, that would come down to that museum will leave, you know, even if they've been a Catholic their whole life, will learn something at the museum. I'll tell you just a quick little thing that a lot of listeners may not know. In the Mass, we have the Kyrie. Did you know that that's not Latin? That is Greek. So that might be something you did not know as listeners out there that, you know, here we go. We've got, you know, Greek in the Mass because that was one of the languages that Jesus spoke. Mm. So little things like that we just don't know about the Mass. So come down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Museum of Catholic Art and History, definitely one of the jewels of the diocese. So Sean Kenny, the executive director of the museum, is uh, right on Broad Street, almost directly across from uh, the cathedral, St. Joseph Cathedral. And the original Wendy's. Yep. And the original Wendy's. So. <laughs> Sean, thanks for being with us. Look forward to seeing you in person, brother, and get your rest. Hey. And thank you f- for everything that you do. Thank you very much, and all the listeners out there, happy Advent and Merry Christmas to you. God bless you, Sean. Well, Amanda, we covered a lot of ground today. We really did. We started with Dr. Marlin, and then we had an opportunity to share what we're doing for Advent, and then Sean, it's it's been a full hour. Getting excited for yeah. Advent? Yeah. Yeah, I am. And then I think in particular, it's just, I'm getting excited, I think, to slow down in silence. I, I think particularly because of the meditations that we're going to be doing. You know, part of the book talks about the importance of um, preserving that time, preparing and safeguarding. And so I'm going to take that really seriously because I I think I need some some silence and some time to really sit with this. Not not this hour. You you can get your silence (laughs) elsewhere. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a quiet cafe. Yeah, I don't know. There is something. <laughs> there is something beautiful. I think about um, preparation with silence. Yeah. So. Yeah. It, it, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was thinking about that last night. Those those places, and I go right to the western part of the country. Some of the the most profound times of silence have been in the desert, uh, and and in different places in in California where there's very little light pollution and all you get are the nature noises and the breeze and it's just so peaceful Mm -hmm. and that's what that's what i want to find also this advent those opportunities to to really enter in into the season with the holy family so friends we're talking about rejoice advent meditations with the holy family by father mark toops get your copy and pray with us this Advent season. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Amen. We'll see you tomorrow, 8 o'clock. God bless you.